Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dusk Dawn, episode three. The Streets of Ducapetta, the second episode about it. Yeah, it's going to be pretty fun. We're going to talk about how stuff has changed, because things truly have changed for me, but that's okay. Uh, are you doing the Butterfly Boucher featuring David Bowie, or are you doing the David Bowie? That's the real question. Uh, I was just going for the standard Bowie, but I, you can say in uh, say in the comments whether I sounded more like the first or the second one. Okay. Well, cool. Uh, yeah, I've been playing Streets of Ducapetta quite a bit, and by quite a bit I mean I've been trying to keep monetary issues in mind. So I haven't done it as much as some other people that we'll talk about right now. So for those of you that are just joining us or have somehow found the podcast through alternative means other than our feed, uh, my name is Josh. Uh, I go by the pseudonym Wins online, and you can find me at twitch.tv backslash Carif underscore wins. And you can watch me play Magic after I stream, because I often stream like a draft on Wednesdays after I play some of games. Yeah, and I'm Alex. Uh, you'll, you'll know me online as Drafter Demon. Uh, you can find me. I got a Twitch account too. I don't. I don't stream as much as I might hope to, but you know, I'm, I'm working on it. Working on it. You see, yeah, he doesn't, <laughs> but he should, because he's currently like 80th Mythic right now. And what? <laughs> my, my, my rank is receding as we speak. I'm down to 105 Mythic now. It doesn't matter. As long as people know <laughs> that you're Mythic, not only does the podcast have credibility, you have credibility <laughs> as a Magic player. So, like, wow. you should be using that, I believe. I should probably... Uh, tr truly my first attempt at internet clout and fame, you know? Yeah, you should totally hit up one of our friends to build you a basic PC so you could stream without Arena crashing on you. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I will have to talk to people. But yeah, I have hit Mythic. It's been pretty epic. Uh, Karif was there for my run to Mythic. I, uh, what, what, what deck was I playing into Mythic? That was the gross uh, blue-white deck, right? So um, it was Obscura, and I remember this because right. he was playing an epic theme deck with two oh. fairy vandals, <laughs> Rafine, like a Rafine's informant. I want to say... What else did that deck have? It had the Interceptor as well. The yeah, there Interceptor. we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just a whole... I, I just got a bunch of the gross core white stuff in pack one, which you just never get anymore in this format, like, because everyone's fighting over white. But this draft, white was open, and I'm like, oh, look at all these backup agents or Rafine's informants I have. <laughs> So yeah, the deck ended up like triple backup, double for Fiend and Foreman, triple Celestial Regulator, like such gross like early format stuff. You got past um, Urfine. You This is important yeah, then, that you got yeah, yeah, past, then got past Urfine. Urfine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, At some point in the draft, we had grabbed a hostile takeover in pack two and we're trying to play it in the deck. Um, <laughs> with my core white cards. And then we're like, uh, and then, then the Rafine showed up, and we're like, okay, never mind, we're just gonna play a good deck and try to flash the hostile takeover. Oh my god. Yeah, but yeah. it turns out that because Drafter was doing so epic at Streets of Ducapenna before this, he just got locked into 280 Mythic, yep. and so from there, we had to figure out whether or not he was gonna make it into the Pro Tour qualifier or whatever. And it turns out that he probably will, but he still needs to play more. And so yeah. he has played more, and now he's at 80. Yep. 
Yeah, so I'm trying to, because as I mentioned at the end of the last episode, I need to stay in the top 250 to get to skip the, like, step two on the way to the PTQ, basically. So it's going to be tight staying in the top 250. It's pretty competitive, and my score's been ticking, like, 10 to 20 Mythic points down a day. Um, And the current deck I'm (laughs) sitting on is a... uh, is a hot pile of something or other. Uh, so <laughs> as long as that deck keeps uh, pulling out wins, it'll keep being good. I'm 2-0 with it right now, and every win does count. So you have a 17 lands link for that that you can send me. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll send you the I'll send you the link for my deck into Mythic and my current. Uh, I'm trying to stay in high Mythic uh, one. So that first one I sent you is gonna be the. Kurt, the deck that got me into Mythic, and then this is my I am trying to stay in Mythic deck. The deck is a shit show. It's five color with a Zia Torah and a Workshop Warchief, <laughs> and just like piles of fixing. Um, piles of fixing will win you games over people that don't have piles of fixing. It's true. Like, uh, if I can just stay alive in the early game, my end game is usually stronger than anything. My, but even the like Maestro's deck is rarely outdoing the Workshop War Reef, the Viatora, and I'm running like four fixers as well, which are all chunky threats. You know. So. Well, we'll talk about this, but I think one of the things about this format is that stat lines are pretty close from about three to five mana. And so yeah. if you stick something early, there's a good chance that they won't be able to get through it if if their deck like doesn't have evasion or something. Yeah. Like yeah, st- sticking a mass bandits in play is pretty strong. Like th- that card is good. It's most the, the card is good. It's just that Jund is generally bad. But when you're playing five colors, you're stuck with Jund anyway. So. Well, speaking of Zeatora, let's talk about the fact that I tried to get into the open and went two mm. and three. <laughs> oh my god, I. <laughs> I had a very good pool. I had a Sanctuary Warden, I had an Undercover Operative, I had a Ledger Shredder, and more importantly, I had two Inspiring Overseers. So my deck was also Obscura. I can't remember what I was playing in the black color, but I remember milling myself out one game, which is totally my fault, and I was mad about it. I I was ahead on board, and that always sucks, right? Mm. It is sad to see. They also... I got down to zero cards in hand, and I had a, my undercover operative on Ledger Shredder, right? Turns out that Ledger mm. Shredder's ability is not a May ability. And so when they cast their second spell, I milled... <laughs> I essentially milled my Quaza, which would have won me the game, which is disappointing. Uh... I, I was looking for Quaza the entire match, right? Because you got two Ledger Shredders, that's the dream. And oh, yeah. I couldn't find it, and eventually I, yeah, I just milled out. I probably should have been a little bit more aggressive, knowing that I was gonna, like, draw asshoods of cards, because my deck was kind of just card draw tribal. I had a Sanctuary Warden in there as well, which also draws cards, right? Oh, but yeah. It, it, it still felt horrible. And then I lost to Depopulate, which I actually, like, saw coming <laughs> in the back of my mind, and then heard Drafter's voice say, don't play around rares. Uh, and then I also lost to a Zeatora. And so it was, it was pretty sad. 
Jeff, you're going much farther I, than me. Look, I always stand around. I, I always stand by generally not playing around rares. Sealed, it's a little bit more logical to, uh, to build around or to play around rares because you've got double the chances of uh, that rare showing up, you know? Yeah. But even so, I wouldn't fault you for not playing around a rare. Yeah, and I uh, I also just to, just to make sure you guys are on board with what this was. There was the sealed event last Saturday. Um, it's the big gem entry, and then you get chances to win big money on Sunday if you get seven wins on Saturday. They usually run these. What is it? Every couple of months, I think. Yeah, I don't know the specific time frame. I just know that they run them a bit every once in a while. Yeah, and, and Drafter almost made it. Yeah, uh, they usually alternate between limited and constructed. I usually play in the limited ones. I ended up 6-3. Uh, I took two pretty early losses and then was just on a wing and a prayer. Uh, <laughs> my deck was good. Um, it was white-green core. It had, like, some blue cards in it, and then I was also splashing a fleet foot dancer because that card's gross. Um, that card also was like, gross. Also, like, a soul of emancipation in the top, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Deck was good. Uh, you know, uh, I... Uh, the, the last game was a heartbreaker because I never saw my fourth land, and I'm pretty sure I would have uh, gotten there if I actually drew the fourth land ever. Um, getting but close you know. is... Yeah, getting close is totally respectable as well. It's hard to go 6-3 in these things. People are... It is. The bloodlust for money, the greed, <laughs> is real. Yeah, you know. It's a little tragic, you know, but uh, I can't be too mad, all things considered. I still got half of my entry back, which is better than a poke in the eye, and that's it. I I was uh, I was joking during the whole time, because I played against, like, four people who had Urbrask, and I'm like, oh, did yeah. I, like, miss the free Urbrask you get? Because you got an Urbrask in for, uh, <laughs> for joining the event, I'm like, where's my free Urbrask as part of my entry? Oh, I got on the skin! <laughs> <laughs> Some guy tried to play Power Word Kill. At my LGS in the <laughs> paper seal. Yeah, yeah. I also went one and two in that. Oh my god, I'm getting my ass kicked by this format. Yeah, oh. I also I, we we did a game day draft at my LGS. I went uh, one one split because we didn't have that many people, and I got a Skyclave apparition anyway. So I also did get a Skyclave apparition for going one and two. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was cool. Yeah. All right. So streets of Ducapetta. We're into week three i guess week four it's been white heavy i will say that i don't know about the actual rating of the format so far but it seems like you kind of want to be in white and it's not like everybody's been saying recently that draft formats are really really good and they've been right right but yeah. some of those like strixhaven and kaldheim have been heavily weighted towards certain colors so that doesn't mean that it's like bad it just means that you kind of want to draft white cards to start yeah i mean i think there's like right now basically sets are either usually like good like great fun to play formats or they're goat formats like these this is a real all-timer like i think kamigawa could be up there for an all-timer right yeah, I think that it's powerful enough to do that, and all of its themes seem to work where it counts, right? I mean, like, Samurai flopped, but no one cares. Yeah, like, <laughs> Red had better things to be doing than Samurai, and that's what yeah. the Red deck was about there, and that's why Red is still okay. But yeah, look, like, like that deck that I took into Mythic, right, White was open, so my deck was obscene. When, white, when you get a good White deck in this format, they are amazing. 
However, I also feel like if you get a good uh, blue base deck, like any of the like blue, black, red, or blue, white, black control decks can be really gross if you get the right stuff for them. I've only played um, Maestros once, and that was at the very beginning of the format with Omnixilis. Uh, I'm still yeah. trying to figure out why Maestros initiate is bad, but that's more <laughs> of a me thing than it is anybody else. I think, I don't mind running one of them, but it ends up being just low impact, I feel. Um, like, let me see if my last Maestro's deck ran one. Oh, right, my last Maestro's deck was my stupid five corpse of Razor deck. That oh, yeah, that wouldn't, uh, <laughs> wouldn't have played any Maestro's initiates. You couldn't have paid me to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about the last, the other one, so this one, did I, yeah, this one I had only two Corpse Appraisers and a Maestro Charm at the three drop slot, but I also had, like, four Snooping Newsies, which, maybe, a Maestro's Initiate would have probably been okay in this deck. Um, I just don't think, like, it was, it would be better than any of the, like, I think the Crooked Custodian just comes down a turn earlier, and that's more important. So I may be off on this, and I very much could be off on this. But I feel like Modo is a bit better at card evaluation and, like, draft evaluation, like, signals and stuff. So you tend it, to get... The players? Yeah, you tend to get yeah. decks that look a little bit more like the stuff you'd see at your LGS, right? Mm. Uh, and so I haven't gotten any funny five corpse appraisers decks or anything like that, right? <laughs> and so I, 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 I do think that I'm playing shittier cards, which might make my evaluation a little bit better just to justify my own thinking <laughs> that, like, Sewer Crocodile is a 23rd. But, yeah, it, it's just hearing about your decks is like... It does seem like many more things are playable if you get the right cards. Uh, and maybe this is part of the reason why you see certain decks rising up to the top of the format... Uh, but being able to be more hit on Arena, because people are a lot less incentivized to Rare Draft and specifically Hate Draft, uh, and so the lines are a lot clearer, and you'll see a lot of the bomb uncommons for those archetypes. Yeah, I, I also don't, and I probably should talk more about my decks that flop, because I definitely do have decks that, like, pretty hard flop. Like, um, in, like, for example, let's, let's pull up, like, yeah, like, I had a blue-white deck I drafted that flopped really hard, went, like, 1-3. Um, it had, like, triple Illuminator Virtuoso, but it had, like, no 3-drops was part of its big struggle. Huh. So I just didn't get on in here. You, you take, take a quick glance at this deck, Gareth. Uh, I will do so uh, for the podcast. Let yeah, me yeah. see. We could talk about this deck for a second. Yeah, yeah. Like, this deck pretty hard flopped, um, and it just didn't have enough creatures was part of its big struggle, I'd say. The okay. Broker's Initiates weren't great in it just because I didn't have much counter stuff, you know? Yeah. And, like, the Echo Inspector, they're good, and, like, the Psychic Pickpockets are good, but I didn't have, like, those core three drops I needed. Like, you have to get that curve a lot in this format, I feel like, and that's what this deck really suffered on. Yeah, and I still think that it's strange that a uh, format this obsessed with being three colors also this obsessed with getting on board early but i guess the world may never know why that happens there, there's got to be some good meta analysis that we can do some some real deep dives into game design and the choices that they made that <laughs> made this format somehow three color and also two color yeah well 
I think the at least for me the the trick to being in a good like true core three color deck is that you really do get paid off for like living long enough like you're getting access to like garbage like hostile takeover and that like hostile takeover atlas like ends the game so like if you can just live into a hostile takeover you did it and stuff like maestro's charm really strong really flexible good payoff for being in so like you can be low to the ground and more consistent, but you're going to lose to the deck that really went out there on a limb and then got their colors. But yeah, um, I, I think it's very important to keep an eye out for what's open in this form. And that's true for anything. But like, if you see the, the multicolor cards are a great clue on like things being open, like seeing a late corpse appraiser if for some reason you're seeing like a late discipline duelist or like in obscura nimble larson's this not the greatest card but if you're seeing them super late that could be your opportunity to move in on that try you know everybody knows that it's cabaretti that sucks right but brazen upstart is a fucking house that card yeah. is absolutely a reason to not only splash red but also be in cabaretti as a whole yeah, it, I think the white-green splash-red deck can be really awesome, because white-green's a good core deck, and if you're splashing good cards in red, um, that, that's a good deck. So I saw a red-green deck uh, splashing white. This is actually the 3-0 deck that I got on Magic Online, the drafter was watching. That yeah, yeah. was, I want to say, probably 19 creatures, or 20, it was more like 20 to 21 creatures with two warm welcomes, and it was just blitzing like every every single creature in and using them as yep. combat tricks and also just having insane board presence because every single non-land card they drew is a creature and yep. i i beat it barely i don't know what happened yep. game three i feel like i should have lost but there's the, the reason to be in cabaretti is to just continually apply pressure right yep if, and if your opponent stumbles at all, which happens because people are playing three-color in this format, you just punish them hard for it. You don't give them that chance to get back on their feet. Yeah. There's one other yeah. deck that I guess we want to talk about, and it's Black-Red Aggro. Uh, the deck yeah. that we theory-crafted in yep. the set review that is still good, but it's a little different than I think we thought it was going to be. So it's like the one like good deck that I haven't really ever gotten to draft. And I think it's core tenant is that you need to be in black red. Don't splash in this deck. It needs to be black red. It needs to have body droppers primarily. I don't think the forge bosses matter very much. I think it's the body droppers that matter. Um and then you get the good red aggro creatures like Mayhem Patrols and Plasma Jockeys. You get the, like, Grizzly Sigil's awesome in this deck because you can dash or whatever, blitz, and then you, like, Grizzly Sigil, that kind of stuff, you know? Light up the... Light them up is pretty good still. And then the big card is involuntary employment. Um, getting to, like, on five, go... J just like you're playing AFR, you go, like, act a treason their guy, swing in, sack it off to the body dropper, or sack it to a casualty spell that's how this deck comes together so if you're seeing late body droppers and involuntary employments that's where you get into this deck i've had success with this deck at my lgs but i think it was because nobody was playing revelation of power 
when in yeah. this deck you see a large amount of life gain, you're probably dead. It's yep. really hard to keep on pressure against white decks sometimes. Not that it can't happen. There's a lot of blowouts you can get with this deck. But my version was more black-red sacrifice with blitz creatures. And it still worked out fairly well. I was even playing a Goldhound, which Goldhound has gone heavily down in both of our set reviews, I suppose. And yeah. <laughs> it turns out that you can kind of just, like, if you go one drop, two drop, three drop, that's still that's still winning games, especially if they've got, like, multiple power. And yeah. a lot of the reasons that kind of all those cards have some sort of augmentation for a Striker Menace or something like that, and those go really well with pump spells. And I think this is going to lead into our next topic and mostly the 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 weight of the show which is surprising because it's combat tricks oh yeah combat tricks have been better in the last couple sets they've been the, the first one that really i remember sticking out to me is that green like one mana plus two plus two and trample and crimson vow that card was awesome in crimson vow and i was like huh this card is, like, better than I remember combat tricks being, like, ever. <laughs> um, and this set, combat tricks have really shown through. But I don't feel like we talk about them very much, like, in-depth, like, really thinking about them. So I, I think we should take that moment to, you know, really talk about every combat trick, think of the good things, think of the bad things, and really fully understand what you're putting in your deck, rather than just saying, oh, I'm putting a combat trick in my deck. It's it's a combat trick. Yeah, uh, one of the reasons that I think combat tricks are good overall is still because that stat line is flat. So mm -hmm. the combat tricks actually have the modality of being removal spells when they're blocking, or pumps, uh, pump spells slash like lava axes when they're not, right? Yeah. And... That's heavily important, because most of the time, combat tricks will win you a combat, but you don't get farther on board, right? Uh, it turns out that in this format, you do get farther on board when you're playing a combat trick, because whatever they're going to play next not only gets owned by another combat trick, but also is about the same as the creature that you still have on the battlefield. Like, they can't outpace you from three to four, right? So if you cast Majestic Metamorphosis on three, and you draw a card... There's not a huge amount of creatures at four that will completely ruin your day if you're slightly behind. Yeah, and I, I do think Karif's uh, analysis on the like stat parity really does come it does does really come out in this set. And yeah, there's there's a lot to be said there. Um, before we get into the specifics on each combat trick, there are some just general things about combat tricks that are still just important to mention just before we get into the details. That basically apply to every single one of these the first of that being you gotta have the creature count for these you can't just like combat tricks do still do nothing if you don't have a creature on board they are dead cards they don't affect the board unless you already have a guy on board so make sure you're not running your combat tricks in like a maestro's controlling deck that barely gets on board is really just counting on like a hostile takeover or just getting a couple glamorous outlaws down your combat tricks are still going to be bad in that deck 
just because the cards have good data doesn't mean you can just jam them in anything. Still, use just, just think about it still a little bit. You know? I would I would argue that well we'll talk about the specifics of specific combat tricks, but I think the combat tricks yeah. for Maestros like the Majestic Metamorphosis and the Fake Your Own Death do work a little bit, right? Especially with the funny Fake Your Own Death combo with sure, Carmella. Yeah, I, I, I do agree that some of them are worth considering in there, but as a general like note, do make sure you have the creatures to support them. And like, I'll talk about the ones that specifically break that rule because specifically, as Kareth mentioned, fake your own death is a very interesting use case specifically. But yeah, also if you're casting these into your opponent's open mana you stand to get blown out horrifically by their own combat trick or an instant speed removal spill, like a run out of town. I can't tell you the amount of players that have tried to go combat trick into my thing and I go, run out of town, your dude. And then they're like, well, there goes my <laughs> card and my other card. It's it's brutal. So. This ends up making run out of town an insane card, by the way. That's why that card is good. Yeah, because you just two-for-one them so hard when they go for a combat trick, um, and their tempo's all whack. Um, try not to run these out into open mana if you don't have to. Like, sometimes you're back against the wall, and you just gotta go for it. Um, also, a uh, fun thing to consider is, uh, for the arena gamers out there, you can sometimes gauge whether your opponent is actually holding something up based on whether or not, how, how quickly their priority passes go and all of that. I've definitely, like, cast a spell pre-combat to try to gauge whether or not the opponent actually has any ability to interact with the board. And I'm like, oh, wait, their priority passed immediately. They got nothing. Let's go for it. Uh, well, let's open. So I've organized my notes on these alphabetically by color. So uh, we're going to lead off on good old Boon of Safety. Uh, as a reminder, it's a single white mana for an instant. You put a shield counter on target creature and scry one. You want to mention anything about it, Karif? It's a little weird. I definitely thought this was going to be better than it ended up being. I think I've said this before on the podcast, but Boon of Safety's big problem is for me is that usually shield counters stay around and that's kind of huge for intimidation factors. Like, legitimately. I'm not just joking about Jedi mind tricks here. <laughs> like, it, it makes combat much rougher when your shield counter stays on your creature. You can play this proactively. That's something that we have mentioned a lot. But it's still a little bit awkward when you're trying to actually use this as a trick trick. It has been my experience. Because, yeah, you're getting it, but it, it wins combat... But it actually didn't really get that much, and it doesn't have that blow-up potential, right? Yeah. My main note on it is that... So, so obviously, it's nice. One-mana tricks are where I want to be. Having a one-mana trick, that feels great, because uh, you just, you know, you only have to leave up one mana. Yeah. Scry one's a real bonus. Um, But tricks that don't augment have been looking like like augment significantly have not looked great in that because i feel like you want to be able to have a trick that makes your two like win into your opponent's three drop that's where i want my tricks to be they're gonna make my two mana two two kill my opponent's four like three three and still live heck if they can kill the opponent's five five and still or like four four and still live now we're really talking about some juicy stuff you know yeah but this doesn't augment your creature if your baseline creature sucks this sucks you know yeah i think this would be um, better if 
or this has potential to blow things out in green white because green creatures are so large and so people are often more incentivized to double block it especially in this format but i don't think you want more than one of these still no I mean, the other big thing is this falls victim to the fact that everyone's already kind of prepared to hate on shield counters because they are so prevalent on the, like the best couple decks so like you're not throwing a wrench in the equation, you know? They were already expecting to deal with shield counters, so they are already prepared with good answers. And, like, if you play this proactively and then get, like, whacked or nightclub, like, God forbid you put on a X1 and they nightclubber, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it can be brutal, you know? So this has played out to be a pretty mediocre white combat trick. And while, while we're here, I'd also like to mention the white combat tricks all have to remember Illuminator Virtuoso, which is a huge, huge payoff for being in on combat tricks in white. So, yeah, it's uh, a Illuminator Virtuoso is, is a real consideration. Yeah, and... I mean, we could go into more about Illuminator Virtuoso all day, and that card, that card's cracked. God, yeah. You could put any combat trick on that thing, and then it's just yeah. evil. It's it's genuinely yep. evil when you have an Illuminator Virtuoso. I pick those highly. Quick side note. God, I, I'm just, like, thinking about this entire podcast, and I want to get off, get it off my mind right now. Okay. This is the format with tap lands, and combat tricks are still playable like what the hell where you want to play tap lands where you want to play like seven tap lands and combat yeah. tricks are still good <laughs> yeah yeah i i feel like it actually kind of works out because you can swing in test out if you're gonna need the combat trick if they're gonna make you pull the trigger and then if they do you use the combat trick and then you play your tap land but if they don't you play one of your untapped lands and slam down your four drop or whatever you know yeah okay okay so yeah, the, the fact that you're using combat tricks can help you like fill in the gaps, you know. I feel like so. This is a good format to learn these sorts of things, and I like that a lot about it. That it just absolutely it just boils combat down to some of the base effects that we've that we used to have in limited, and we're kind of returning to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. All right, we got refuse to yield up next. Uh, one in a white instant gives a creature plus two plus seven until end of turn and untaps it. Karif, any thoughts? I've never played this card, but apparently it has fairly okay data. Yeah, I have also not played this card. It's pretty okay data wise. I can and again, Illuminator Virtuoso exists. If I have an Illuminator Virtuo, if I, and you sometimes get like these two, three Illuminator Virtuoso decks, and that deck slams this card every day. And yeah. I want to say Illuminator Virtuoso is pulling this card's win rate. Yeah, That's I guess. That's my theory on it anyways. I think the card's pretty medium if you don't really care about the combat tricks. I think it's a functional combat trick. It gives power. The untap ambush could be real. People aren't expecting this card, so if you have it up and no untapped creatures you can probably get people with it yeah one of the funny things that uh, you can do is uh sleep with the fishes when, when somebody goes to sleep with the fishes you can get them and then that's like it's it's blocking again baby and how yeah, are you yeah. gonna deal with the thing that they sleep with the fishes on that's that's kind of real yeah and sleep with the fishes has proved to be a great card so yeah maybe i should try this card more you know the data is pretty okay on it 
Um, you should try this card too. Uh, you know, uh, maybe we'll find it's a, it's a beautiful, it's, it's a great card that just underappreciated. But, but the main reason I wouldn't play a refuse to yield would be uh, our next card, Revelation of Power, <laughs> which is gonna be one in a white, just like our last one. Only a, a measly plus two plus two. But if the guy's got a counter on him. It gives flying and lifelink until end of turn. Who boy, Kareth, what do you think? Mighty Leaf ends games, just like I said in the set review. It And it <laughs> has. Like, it, it does. Uh, Illuminator Virtuoso obviously pulling this card. But this is good because the counters deck is good. And the shield counters are nutso when you also get flying and lifelink. It's got so much modality to it b besides just the oh man i'm gonna ambush your creature oh man i'm gonna get him for two damage G gaining like six life off of this because you played a backup agent and you have like a counter on some random creature is real or having like a six point life swing it's so real in this format this format's been about racing, apparently, according to some guy at my LGS that is good at magic. <laughs> so the, the 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 king of this format, uh, the the blue the blue white decks, uh, you know, have all have like all of these things with counters on them, and then you play this thing and then get like a five point life swing. Sometimes, like in my uh my one of my game one of my games on that deck to Mythic. Me and Kara are like, huh, what card gets us lethal? And Kara's like, if we draw a revelation of power, he dies. And then what he gets what I topped at. Do a revelation of power and he died. Uh, it was pretty epic. Big epic Gabriel the um, Seath moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I called shot Kara, epic gamer. But yeah, I, I think uh the other card that this is also like outside of just Illuminator, uh Discipline Duelist is also incredibly cracked with this card. He just crashes in for eight damage and gains you eight life and then there it's no longer a race you've won <laughs> yeah double strike plus basically any combat trick is the most insane pump damage you've ever seen in your life if they don't block discipline duelist and you play this that's an that's a 16 point life swing baby even if they block discipline duelist and you play this you mega eat whatever they blocked with which is probably some good stuff because they're trying to break the shield counter on duelist and then even if they like still take out the shield counter you've just massacred a bunch of stuff and gained a bunch of life like it's brutal the lifelink matters so much the flying hasn't come up a ton for me but i can definitely see how it could come up um but yeah awesome card really the poster child either this or one of our upcoming cards i'd call the poster child for combat tricks in this set but yeah, good shit. Um, Great. Put it in your deck, do it with Illuminator Virtuoso to watch your opponent cry. Yeah, both of the insane uncommons with double strike. Uh, uh, obviously, Illuminator doesn't come with counters, but you can easily grant it one by just discarding a non-land to the connive that this triggered. Okay. Um, but yeah, those are the white combat tricks. Um, Revelation of Power, the big winner. Um, Refused Yield probably should be played more. I think it's pretty okay. And Boon of Safety, not amazing. Uh, next up, we got... Uh, I'll let Kara free this one because he loves it so much. Oh my god. Majestic Metamorphosis. I actually need to pull this up. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine not uh, knowing every card in this head off the top. Of I know what it does. I just want to make sure I write the exact words so I don't like... 
All right, all mess right. it up. <laughs> that would be embarrassing. Yeah, I don't want to give fake information. Okay, Majestic Metamorphosis is specifically a two and a blue. For an instant, it's a, it reads, until end of turn, target artifact or creature becomes a 4-4 angel artifact creature and gains flying, and you draw a card. Uh, obviously, uh, so uh, as Karif talked about in our common and uncommon review, this card is very reminiscent of the uh, suit up from the last set. It has played out pretty good. Um, the refunding a card still a big deal. The fact that the counters stack on top of that base stat of 4-4 four, four is pretty epic because um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of counters running around in this format. Um, the fact that you can just, like, there's a lot of flyers going around, and the fact that you can just have, like, a treasure chilling and then turn it into a 4-4 four, four and ambush, pretty epic. Yeah. Uh, very flexible. Shockingly flexible, honestly. I've found this strangely to be better as a defensive trick which is awkward because usually when you're playing against another deck with combat tricks they'll keep their mana open through main phase one and that makes it awkward for you to invest mana into trying to uh, ambush their flyer right but there's still value in especially defensive decks like maestros that don't have a lot of flyers bopping their celestial regulator mm. and killing off their flyers it often works kind of like a plummet when it's a plummet it's good and when it's just ambushing a ground creature that's also pretty good this four four trades with a lot of stuff and as you said like the counters do make it a little bit better it it's just a little bit awkward in in aggressive decks i think because you can't force the block like kamigawa but that doesn't mean that all the other synergies around it make it make it bad, right? Yeah. I also think this card is better in the more controlling decks where you're also leaving up, like, Make Disappear or maybe a Maestro's Charm or whatever alongside this, and then you kind of use it as a removal spell. Though, if you're in blue-white with Illuminator Virtuoso, this card is so cracked with Illuminator Virtuoso, um, like, even more <laughs> cracked than some of the other stuff. Like, so insane, because he turns into a 4-4 four, four, and then connives to a 5-5, five, five, and it's like, oh, my god, 10 yeah. flying, double straight, so, yeah, so, <laughs> so gross. Um, yeah. Alright, I'll also talk about this one, because I was talking about it with Drafter, and I was saying that it's a little bit better <laughs> than everybody thinks it is. Uh, <laughs> slip out the back, it is... I also haven't pulled this one up. Very funny, Gareth. <laughs> Alright. Uh... <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll tell tell people about this so you can get your thoughts collected. So it's a single blue mana for an instant. You, fade, you put a counter on a creature and then it phases out. So it'll be back with anything on it at the beginning of your next turn. Did I get that right, Karev? I'm checking Scryfall right now, if you couldn't tell. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> slip out the back is a one mana instant. Yep, that's what it says. The, cool. This card is, I think, better than people give it credit for. So, it's a one-mana trick, which, like Boon of Safety, is valuable in and of itself. Boon of Safety, obviously mediocre. But, the thing about this card is that, despite every other combat trick being blown out by removal, this is the combat trick that blows out the removal, right? And just having your creature for next turn against those decks is, is pretty good, right? I've honestly all only played this deck or this card with 
ledger shredders on the battlefield <laughs> to be fair which is makes it like insane by the way yes but it's it's pretty good be wary that if you cast this on your turn phasing out now says like it's until your next turn so you won't have that creature until your next turn so if they if you wanted to like keep up a blocker with slip out the back that's not how that card works uh which is kind of disappointing but there is against the either the controlling decks or if you're spelling out like maestro's charms being able to keep this up plus another combat trick will give you a little bit of insurance yeah i I think uh, in care of with getting to this but i i think i'm gonna really drive the point in i think this card is less of a combat trick and more of a protection spell um, I, using this in combat is pretty weak. I want to be using this against my opponent's kill spells. So, I think if you're in a best of three format, um, this is a card that I would consider, like, I, I'm, I'm a little wary to play it in best of one, and I think in a best of three format, if I've got a pretty good deck, I wouldn't start this necessarily, but I think it has very good matchups. I think it'll be an awesome card in other matchups. I also think it's really good if you have bombs to protect, like a Ledger Shredder, because this does, this is an awesome protection spell. Um, but it is, it is that, a protection spell. It's not really winning combats anywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it can't win combats. It can't. It doesn't have that thing. And the permanent counter is a nice improvement, but yeah, um, it's gonna have great matchups, it's gonna have bad matchups. Um. Yeah, sure. And that's that's up to you to decide. It, I think it's pretty good against Maestros. That's really yeah, kind of the that, that, deck that's against That's a removal deck. Yeah, yeah. But even yeah. even then, it's like kind of like playing a Ranger's Guile that won't like trade the creature in combat or make him bounce off. And that yep. still has value, right? It's just you want to know when you want to do that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I, I definitely think consider this card... And in those best of three formats, be prepared to side it in in good matchups or side it out in bad matchups, you know? Okay, yeah. Uh, ooh, uh, th- this card, this card has been really cool. Fake your own death. Um, one in a black for an instant. You get a, uh, I'm gonna try, I'm doing this one off my head. I'm almost certain it's right. You can fought check me if you want, Gareth, but it's, uh... Sure. One in a black instant, target creature gets plus two, plus O oh until end of turn. And when it dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control and create a treasure token. I don't think it creates a treasure. God, that card would be good if it created a treasure. Does it create a treasure? It creates a treasure. What? Really? Yeah. Whoa. I had no clue. <laughs> Apparently it's I've never played token. this card before. This card is awesome. Uh, And I'll start talking about... So black black decks tend to be... So so you have the blue-black decks, which tend to be slower. And in those decks, this card is big for re-triggering ETBs on powerful things, like just getting another connive off, redoing your snooping noobsy to get it online more. Um, And it gets to trade up because of that two power. Um, Psychic Pickpocket getting Fake Your Own Death? <laughs> brutal. You, like, block their, like, 4-4, four, four, Fake Your Own Death, and then it dies, and then you get to bounce a thing. So gross. <laughs> um, 
And that treasure token is huge, because these decks are usually on three colors. Sometimes you just need that extra pip of mana, or you're just trying to play a Glamorous Outlaws on turn five, which is pretty epic, like, um, <laughs> or a Crocodile if you're Karif. Um, <laughs> shut up! I, I, come on, I said it, I keep saying it's the 23rd. Whatever. Uh, uh, but it also, in the black-red deck, you can, like, put this on your thing. It does re-trigger those ETBs again. Um, you can put it on your Blitz creature to save it after you Blitz it. You can... And in the black-red deck, that treasure token can, uh... Is there anything that scales off of sacking permanence? I honestly don't remember. No, Body Dropper only does it off of creatures. Okay. But the treasure token's still huge because there's activate abilities for that deck. Getting up to your involuntary employment is big, you know? Um, just protecting your very critical body droppers. It just gives you another card, and it and it can burst in for the extra damage, which matters more in the black-red deck. Um, again, the fixing can even matter for that deck if you are, like, trying to, like, splash a Zeatora or something in your top end, you know? That's huge, you know, getting a treasure token. Um, this card is, like, the, like, the fixing card for black-red, which is kind of weird to think about, <laughs> but, you know, this card yeah. is so awesome. So, this card is just better than Dig Up the Body. That's, that's what it is. It doesn't mill you, which, in a format that's still aggressive and plays combat tricks, you still go to milling sometimes. It's weird, but trust us. Uh, it, <laughs> I think the funniest thing you can do is combo this with Cormella. That's pretty epic. Yeah. Uh, you just keep getting a Cormella back. It's like Gravedigger targeting Gravedigger, which, uh, ju just so everybody knows, everybody's favorite grindy matchup, three-word phrase in Magic, is draw a card, right? Mine is Gravedigger targeting Gravedigger. Having, <laughs> having consistent blockers, I feel like, is a little bit better, and just being on board consistently is... It, it, it's, it's good, and Cormella has haste, so you can, you can ramp with this. Which is kind of nuts. Like, oh, that's yeah. so much ramp with Fake Your Own Death and Cormella. But, I mean, that's just icing on top of the cake already. Yeah, Fake Your Own Death is good. Play, like, two of these in, honestly, basically any black deck. I, I, You can probably show me a black deck that doesn't really want these, but they're few and far between. Yeah, if you're doing better stuff than this in your 23rd slot, that's you've got a nutso deck. But yeah, this card has been really strong. Um, and the nice thing about basically all of these combat tricks, with the exception of one that I'll mention later on, but you can usually get these pretty late still. Nobody's really fighting you early for combat tricks. Yeah, you still want the creatures first to be able to get the combat tricks off of, right? Players will still draft the good creatures because you yep. want to be on board to play them then and then yep. people pick up the combat tricks. But yeah, once you get down to like ninth or 10th pick, start, if you see these, grab them. Like, that's your chance, you know? Yeah. All right, uh, next card. Antagonize. Ooh. Love You Mason can do this antagonize. one off the top of your head, right, Karen? Uh, target creature gets plus four, plus three until end of turn for one and a red. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good, that's a good card. I, that guy is big. Yeah, I played a black-red deck in paper. The, the black-red deck that I played in paper, uh, I was playing two antagonize, and I thought the deck was absolutely horrible, and that it was going to win no games. And it was like, okay, right? My biggest problem with it was that it didn't have enough Blitz creatures uh, to be able to get the fun sacrifice synergies with Body Dropper and whatnot. 
Uh, it turns out that you could just play things on curve and antagonize is great. <laughs> yeah. Such colossal stats. Like, antagonize is the card that lets your 2-2 eat a 4-4. Like, <laughs> or trade with a 6-6. Like, this trades with a cleanup crew on your bear. You're still kind of That's rough so if you're insane. doing that specifically, but... That's but like, neither here nor it, there. Yeah, it's giving you it out to clean. Like if they just slam down a cleanup crew and then you go attack with three like two twos or something, they block you, antagonize. Assuming they aren't just dead to the, just the four extra damage getting through potentially, you could also just get that cleanup crew off board. This card is huge, man. Yeah. So one of the big things about this is that uh, your body dropper often has menace. Your mayhem patrol has menace, right? Goldhound has menace. Uh, everything has, like, Menace or First Strike in the black-red deck, right? Yeah. And so one of the other things that happens with this card is that you'll often get the two-for-one, right? You will make your creature big enough to evade double blocks most of the time. And God forbid yep. you put this on, like, a First Striker. Jesus. Oh, baby. Yeah. Can you imagine? First Maybe Strike and Menace. Too. Yeah, I wonder if you put this on, like, a First, first? Strike menace creature that only had one power. wonder if that would be good, right? Like, well, it'd be five powered then. Yeah, it'd be really big. That's true. There, there's yeah, no card with that stats in the set, and yeah, first strike menace and one power. That would be a weird combo, Karen. Yeah, and then uh, it, I, the only thing that could make it stranger is if it like sacks for mana, which doesn't feel like a thing that any one mana one fun first strike menace could do. I, and imagine if it was also a dog, that'd be crazy. Yeah, that'd be really funny. It was a treasure dog, because it had that, treasure yeah, if you dog? made it a treasure. Yeah, that would be yeah, nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wizards that'd would never do that. They would never, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this this has gone long enough. Let's... But yeah, put this in your black-red decks. Uh, God forbid you're playing red-green, put this in your deck. Uh, maybe it'll get you some wins. Uh, maybe put this in your, like, white-green splashing red deck. If you are not so lucky enough to get some, like, Revelation of Powers instead, you know? I think what Red Green wants to do is just put all the dumb treasure cards aside and play every Blitz card that's in Red Green. Because the Blitz yeah. cards in Red Green are hilariously large. And yes. that is incredibly hard to block. I did experience... I forget if I was or you were around for this. Somebody slapped two counters on a Riveteer's decoy, and I was like, well, fuck, that's a 5-3 that I have to block. <laughs> <laughs> that just eats my ex my, my two Xs, you know? Like, ah, yeah. oh, shit, that's, uh, that's a little scary, so... Yeah, yeah, that's the red-green... They need red fairy vandal, that's what they're missing. Green fairy vandal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, oh baby, we got a daring escape. Single red mana for an instant, gives plus one, plus O, oh, and first strike until end of turn, and I believe you get a scry one as a benefit. I don't know, I try not to read this card, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give this, yeah, I got it right. People plus keep plus saying, oh, first strike, scry one. like, Kindled Fury is better than it looks, right? Like, it does often trade, or not trade, you win combats with that, and so does daring uh, escape, right? Well, let me pull up the Neon Dynasty data so I can laugh at you about saying Kindled Fury is okay. Because I'm pretty sure it's, like, one of the, like, worst commons in the set. Okay, then. Cool. Well. Uh, I know sets where it's been good. You know what this needed to be? You know what this needed to be? The th plus three plus zero. The sure strike. That's what it needs to be good. It's not currently, but... 
Yeah, Sure yeah. Strike would be a pretty okay card. Yeah, this card has the same... Kindled Fury has the same data as Futurist Sentinel, Carif. Okay. I've lost the Futurist Sentinel before, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, card bad. Uh, it yeah, doesn't yeah. give you enough stats for even the mana. Like, you can get better stats in any other color. And... At a combat trick level, yeah. This will be okay. This is the mediocre twenty third of the like. Like this is the card that it's like. Uh, I have to put this in my deck. I guess I'll put this one shitty combat trick. This this is the stereotypical combat trick that us limited players are used to. This is it. We found it. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um. Ooh, baby, we're for the family. You, you want me to do four of the family? Uh, I can probably do this off the top you of my head. One? So it's okay. a single yeah, green. Yeah. yeah, it's a single green for an instant. It Well, I mean, they're all instants. Why am I saying this? Uh, uh, not all of them. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, it's an instant. <laughs> you, a target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. If you control four or more creatures, uh, that creature gets plus four, plus four until end of turn. You see, it's funny because it's four of the family, and it's it four. four. Yeah, and it, it cares four. about four, and then it gives four. Yeah, it's like Grizzlebrand. <laughs> but it costs one mana. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, exactly. Right? That's why yeah, it's yeah, like Grizzlebrand. It's like Grizzlebrand. <laughs> go, uh, go comment at Blogatog. Tell him that uh, for the family is dead design should cost four. <laughs> okay. Anyways. Uh... uh this card is awesome. Uh, one mana plus two plus two has been pretty okay these last couple of sets. But the upside on this is huge. Yeah, plus four plus four for one mana? I don't know how we didn't read that. Like, the first time we read this card, but... I, I think I thought it was harder to get four creatures in play than it has been, but, you know... When I'm staring down four creatures and they attack me, I'm like, fuck. Okay, I'm gonna get four of the family. Yeah. I'm either dying or one of my creatures is getting murdered. And it's not gonna be pretty either way. Citizens are a five five with this, and that's just the baseline, right? Yeah. That that's the big value with this card, is that in green there is token synergy, and those tokens like you don't even need to attack with the tokens, you just have them sitting around and you get plus four plus four. It's yeah. such a high like stat line for its for for its oh it's cost. awesome and so you get you get four extra damage this is like this is also a lava axe for one mana in green right sometimes yep um yeah because usually and look you gotta talk about the fail case sometimes you don't get the stats but even then it's okay it's a fine combat trick when it's not going off but you're playing it for the upside and the absolute brutal destruction of the plus four plus four mode yeah um, another card, man, slap is on your Illuminator Virtuoso, swing for 12. <laughs> oh, can I, can I say one more thing about For the Family real quick? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I lost a game because I didn't cast my creature main phase, and I had lethal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, don't forget to play your creatures pre-combat. I know I'm habitual to attack first, do things later, and most people are, I feel like. Yeah, but uh, do you remember to be proactive when you gotta be? It was a nail biter, and a dog was barking in the LGS. Uh, Damn. Yeah. Oh, that was that. I yeah, that was that you, game. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, bad. You heard it here first. Next um, up, we got luxurious libation. 
Luxurious Libation, X and a green for an instant, and target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn, and create a citizen token. A 1-1. One, one. Yeah. Um, this card is so flexible. Um, there are three main modes I see for it. The first one being a combat trick. You use it, you give a guy like plus two, plus two, plus three, plus three. He kills the creature you're fighting, and you get that nice 1-1 one, one of the bonus. It was a little expensive for what it did, but you got a 1-1. One, one. Not so bad. The second mode is, we're in the end game, and I swing with all my creatures, and then the one that gets through, I give plus 8, plus 8, and then they die. Um, <laughs> that's pretty epic. Um, and the 1-1 one, one didn't matter there, but it was cool that he showed up. Um, and then the <laughs> third mode is... I desperately need something on board, like a 1-1, one, one, you know, so I just kind of tempo this out on, like, their creature, maybe, on, like, I've had to cast a sex hero before, it was embarrassing, but it's a <laughs> mode that exists on the card to just, like, flash out that 1-1, one, one. and sometimes you ambush an X-1 with that, you know, or you just yeah. get, you know, it, it's a real flexibility to the card, but those first Google conditions are what you're really in for, and the flexibility between the two of those makes this awesome. Your boy, Civil Servant gets good with this too yeah yeah so sometimes you just gotta like maybe you, you need to start brawling with a 3-3 civil servant because they're trying to race you with uh, uh the fucking uh oh i can't crooked custodian and you just need a need a citizen on board so you're like oh, i'm gonna cast this x2 on my guy just tempo wise swing for five lifelink and now i'm winning the race great card yeah uh, this this on a fish is on a fish yep yeah yeah i i have i had i think i've mentioned this last week on the episode but i got fished by this one time and it was very sad yeah all right next card uh, oh <laughs> i don't remember how to i'll, I'll look it up because i've also tried to forget this card let I, me just try off the top of my uh, off okay. the top of my head right okay yeah. so most wanted is an aura uh, for three and a green, it's got flash, and that's why we're counting it as a combat trick. Uh, it gets it gives target creature plus two plus one, and when that creature dies, create two treasure tokens. I'm say right. You got the mana cost wrong. It's only two and a green. I thought I said, but two the and text green. was right. But yeah, you said three and a green. But uh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, you had it in your head. I'm sure. Yeah, you yeah. just you you <laughs> three CMC, and then you said three and a green. <laughs> sure. Man, did this get blown out by uh run out of town? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, this this is one of the cards that has been not great. Uh, it's mostly because for the family is one man and does everything this card wants to do better, uh, yep. and anything you'd want to put it on is already big. Either that or like if you're putting it on a creature, you kind of don't want it to die, right? Even if you're gonna yeah. ramp into something else, like ah, eh. the creature it's, dying is just not fixed by getting two treasure tokens yeah and the plus two plus one is like a trading thing and th this was a weird one because like I, I think i get it though right for the family and revelation of power and all the tricks that are pretty much good can kill a thing or all or most of the time right when you need to trade you will need to trade but the plus two toughness is big for making sure that your creature stays alive some to most of the time, right? Yeah. 
And this trading most of the time, I think, is what makes it bad, because then you really two-for-one to yourself, right? Yeah, this card just two-for-ones yourself on a three-mana combat trick, which is just not where I want to be. Uh, for me, an example of, like, an aura that does a good job replacing itself is Elephant Guide, which is two in a green for an aura that gives plus three, plus three, and then when the creature dies, you get a three-three elephant. That card was always awesome, because it made your guy really big, and then if your guy does die, which is always, the like, the bad case of auras, you still got a three out of the deal for three. That's great. Yeah, same with, well, Griffin Guide. But there is a pretty playable aura in... I want to say it was Hour of Devastation that you just, like, slapped on your creatures, and even though... I, I think it did, like, damage to the opponent. Maybe it was because that mm. format had a hyper-aggressive deck, but I... Hey. Yeah, there, there's a couple of them that, based on, the form, on how the format plays out, uh, their stat line will be good enough and or the thing that they leave behind will be big enough. Most Wanted isn't that. Uh, that, but, like, that's a thing to listen to set reviews for, I suppose, in the future. We're just talking about, like, generally, if we see this type of card again, what would make it good? And they yep. haven't figured that out yet. Nope, but yeah, this card is bad. Don't put it in your deck. Yeah. Uh, and uh, last but not least, Sheriff is a big uh, big fan of this one, so I'll let you finish <laughs> us off with... Uh, it's just because everybody calls it Embercleave, right? It's just because it of that. It's quick draw dagger. It, okay, it's a three mana artifact. It's an equipment, right? And when it enters the battlefield, you uh, attach it to target creature you control, and it gains first strike, which is big. And then uh, you get a plus one, plus one for your deal on the equipped creature, and then you can re-equip it later for one, right? Yeah, and that first strike is until end of turn, just to be clear. Yes. yes. Uh, so yeah, it's a okay combat trick but the fact that it leaves behind a short sword basically is been pretty big yeah the short sword mode of this card means that it's just around forever and you can put it on anything it makes skycrier look a lot better if, if you put this on your skycrier at any point even to ambush that's a really big game uh yeah it, it, it goes really well on flyers when you need to block kind of that's yeah that's kind of where it is the permanent stats have been big, and yeah, Skycrier is a really good note, because that card's been good, and it's not because Skycrier as a 2-mana 1-1 one, one flying lifelink is doing things on its own, it's because augmenting that card is big. <laughs> what are you and talking about? It's because of the- way to do it. It's the 4-mana draw card! What are you talking about? <laughs> the what? The 4-mana draw card mode! That's what makes it good. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, uh, the act- yeah, yeah. I still haven't lost a game where my opponent has activated that ability. Hmm. Have you won games where you've activated it? I've never... Have I activated it? You, I think... You said you might I, at one point. I, I, I think I really thought about it once, and then I was like, or I could do anything else. <laughs> um, literally the only time I've seen it activated as like a desperation ploy where the opponent's like very dead on board, clearly just drew a land, and they're like, fuck, I guess I might as well try to draw a card. <laughs> God, see, like, uh, not to go too far off on tangents, but I'd rather crack one of my fucking dual lands rather than activate Skycrier. <laughs> like, come on, it's only one more man, and I don't give my opponent a card. 
Oh man, I, I yeah, I didn't want you to go on a whole ass rant about uh, Skycryer activation. Why I like Skycryer? I'm joking. I, I was Let's totally prodding you. I, uh, I, you uh, see, I prod you with bad ideas. You prod me with good ones. That's, yeah, 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 yeah. They really are the dusk and dawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this this is gonna be a quick addendum at the end of the podcast, but oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I just wanted to do a little check-in, because there's a couple of cards that you might see. I, I thought there were going to be more, honestly, but basically that our honorary first picks, right? Yeah, money draft them. Yeah, so uh, it turns out that Ledger Shredder is now a $15 card, and this is what yeah. kind of sparked this discussion in the first place. Because you're pretty much already taking Ledger Shredder first pick. That card is bonkers. Uh, especially with the combat tricks that we've been talking about. But, yeah, it's just like a $15 unassuming rare that's being played in Pioneer and backwards. So, yeah, uh, yeah I just wanted to get, make a shout-out to Ledger Shredder for being an all-timer in terms of money. It's like Snapcaster yeah. Mage. It's worth money. <laughs> and just to give a quick run-over, just, just to make sure everyone's feeling good about what cards you should money draft, uh, Obnix, still money. Bootlegger, still money. Ledger Shredder, money. Luxier is still money. Luxier, unplayable in draft, but money draft, it's still like $15. <laughs> the counter's deck is good, and Luxier's still bad, lol. Oh, awful card. Don't put it in your deck, but money draft it. Try lands, draft them. Uh, they don't first pick them in digital, yeah. first pick them in paper. They're worth money. So I think the important um, things, or some of the important things to mess in is that once you get below like $5, I'm not really 100% interested. You can still take them if you need them, right? But like professional face is pretty much the the line. It's, it's $5.47. It's also a rare that you might not think about. Uh, it's also a reason to be in red and draft. Like that card is yeah. holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Lord Xander is below $5. Yep. And it's not particularly playable in draft, so eh, you could maybe pass it. I don't know. It, it, depending on your price support at your LGS, you might not want to take it. Xander is weird. I, I want to say he's, like, an okay playable. Like, let, let me double check. I, I think he is a mediocre playable like he won't be awful in your deck like if he runs his course and like makes your opponent discard a card and then they have to kill him and he makes him sack half their permanence he's great but he's slow and kind of clunky the mill obviously doesn't matter very much yeah he's a weird card he's, he's kind of worth five dollars so if you're already in maestro's play him have a little bit of fun because you're playing the funny lord Xander guy and you got five dollars you know okay, like, okay. Eh, it's funny you know uh falco spara is a dollar i mean you want to play funny. that card but falco spara is a dollar unlicensed uh, curse is like four you might want to pick that up that card's pretty good yeah also basically anything gilded is worth some amount of money um Notably, uh, at Uncommon, like, some of the cards that, like, the legendary creatures are generally worth picking up even at Uncommon and Gilded, because there were something like Rocket with a $5 card in Gilded, 
Riveteer's charms are like $7 gilded. You're not gonna see, I, I, I think it's very rare to see gilded cards in the regular packs. Yeah, it's like Masterpiece but, Rarity or some stuff like that. It's yeah, something impossible. stupid, but yeah. the gilded cards are, not not all of them, like, the, the shitty gilded cards are like 50 cents. Rafine's um, up to but, $80 now, by the way, gilded. Uh, fuck. Well, just <laughs> open one, easy. All the Ascendancies are pretty value gilded. I don't know who's playing Riveteer's Ascendancy, but somebody is. Yeah, Cabaretti Ascendancy Gilded's like seven. Yeah, as you go down, they get less and less, but they're still like cool and they're yeah. they're, they're worth having in the collection. God forbid you get a Gilded Foil Broker's Ascendancy in your draft. God, somebody's gonna be pissed <laughs> about that. Dude, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I, I think a Gilded Foil Rafine would be the most upsetting thing I could see someone play against me in a draft because not only have they won the game, but they've also gotten an eighty dollar card. <laughs> Yup. Welcome to Scarab God again, but in foil. Yeah. Yeah. We also gotta, you know, keep an eye on the old magic wallet, you know, just like you probably, and, you know, so take those money drafts on to your LGS for that juicy store credit, you know? Yeah, I've got, like, still $37 in store credit left, and I did have to kind of offload a lot of my collection to do that but i like my lgs and it turns out they're kind of just starting out and they're in a pretty expensive part of town so i i, I get to do drafts for free for helping them actually create a card collection so yeah it's good. pretty epic my lgs gives out store credit as paper slips so i'm collecting more and more paper slips as the weeks go by <laughs> and i'm one of these days i'm gonna bring in like 40 of these paper slips and turn them in for like a dual end and it's gonna be hysterical that's my <laughs> scheme right now <laughs> there they vary from like five to twenty dollars so i'm gonna be like all right here's my pile of paper slips how much i got here can i get a dual end <laughs> yeah Tri that the professor says buy singles we're we're the people we're the people that say trade in your draft singles for store credit yeah 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 I mean, you can keep the cool ones for your commander deck or your pioneer deck Ooh, pioneer. yeah ledger ledger is oh. a ten dollar card but you can play it like yeah yeah he's good he put him in your uh, grease fang decks uh put him in your arc light phoenix decks i think yeah, yeah put him in phoenix. your standard decks i don't think he's good there i'm surprised about that but, yeah, I think it's time to put a pin in the podcast for now. Uh, we are going to do a pretty lengthy outro about what we've seen so far, though, from Double Masters 2022 and Commander Legends. This is, like, where we turn from, like, the limited podcast into just the uh, hype magic podcast that you see all the yeah. time on... <laughs> if, you've heard, if you've already heard this shit, you can uh, just log out here. Uh, yeah, we might have some fun and stuff, yeah, to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're selling a booster yeah. box of four boosters for $270 or whatever the hell. I think calling it a booster box isn't very fair. Isn't it just like a draft bundle that they used to call them? You know, you got your three packs, you can do a draft, you know? You can't do drafts with collector boosters, I don't think. I mean, you could. They'd be terrible, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> you want to do a freaking... What, what's the two-player set? Uh, or two-player draft format? Winston uh, draft. Winston, you want to do a Winston, Winston with collector boosters? Collector boosters. <laughs> oh, oh it sounds cursed. Oh, they're so bad for it. Be well, first of all, you're the whole pack's on like a thirty degree angle, so you know there's that fun, you know. Yeah. Bullshit about it, God. I really hope the foil quality is better for fucking sixty dollar booster packs. It won't cursed. be. I don't think. Yeah. It won't be. But yeah, they've revealed some stuff from Double Masters. We're getting some hype reprints like Renin 6, 
chilling at like a hundred and something dollars. He's already tanking though. He's down to like eighty-five. Pretty epic. Yeah, Renan Six, otherwise known as the Dryad from Fantasia Two Thousand. Uh, <laughs> I'm finally gonna be able to get her in foil. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Are you gonna get the? Are you gonna try to get a full art foil? I probably will. I love borderless foils. I love borderless cards just in general. They they look really good and they usually have the best art. Yep. Uh, it appears you can also get basically everything in the set in etched. Ooh, okay. So, like, there'll be an etched Kozilek, etched Renin 6, etched Liliana. So, the big thing about Double Bastards 2022 is they've revealed... Well, Aminatu's basically confirmed, because she's on the box cover. But Liliana the Last Hope is getting reprinted. And I am really excited about this for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, that means we're getting Emrakul, the Promised Dead, most likely. And thank Christ, that card's $60. Uh, second of all, they're finally reprinting cards from a time that I was into playing Magic. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to finally have my nostalgia be pandered to. Because, <laughs> honestly, they've they've done so many reprints of like the really old shit, right? I was playing during Innistrad, but I was an idiot. I thought like Grimoire of the Dead was the most busted card in Magic at that time, right? Like now that I actually have a hold of Magic, they haven't reprinted anything from like anything in the past couple of sets, right? We were looking at Rivals of Ixalan cards last week, or yesterday, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like two days ago, and we got on a side sidetrack tangent of just looking at how many dumb VS Commander staples are over $20 in Rivals of Ixalan, despite the set being horrible. Polyraptor, baby. Oh yeah, he was talking about, right before the stream, tell him about your <laughs> Polyraptor. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I'm selling shit into Card Kingdom right now because I, I want to buy cards for my cube. But I, I was, uh, I, I disassembled a dinosaur commander deck uh, recently and I had a foil polyraptor and I'm like, huh, I bet I can get a couple bucks for this. Lo and behold, they're paying me like 1750 in credit before I get my like store credit bonus. And like I was looking, the card's like a $28 card in foil. And it's like $22, even in non-foil. Like who's paying $22 for foil? <laughs> uh. Oh my God. Yeah, you got Twilight Prophet at 30. You've got a Mortal Sun at 30, just basic. I still have a a stamped foil from Twi of Twilight Prophet that I really, really want to move that my LGS just yeah. won't pick up. Uh Dad. Uh, they've got uh, Pitiless Plunder, still $12 in common. They've got Tender Shoot Dry at 11 <laughs> I oh, was yeah, surprised because yeah. Storm Devault's over like 50 cents. It's like $4.80, and I don't understand why. But yeah. Uh, and we quickly want to go over, because this is the week of Baldur's Gate previews. J just a couple of them. I don't know. Hey. Uh, Do you have any favorites? Th this set, I don't know. Them having to do D and D as a theme for Commander Legends, I don't know if that'll make it a better or worse draft format. Maybe it'll be yeah. a little bit more contained, but I'm still worried. Drafter and I were specifically talking about the take the initiative cards, right? Uh, that basically there's a special dungeon that you go into uh, whenever you take the initiative. And at the beginning of your upkeep, or whenever you deal combat damage to the person with the initiative, you take the initiative, har har. And then 
you get an effect that is similar to a dungeon effect. Uh, it's a little bit weird because it's like a dungeon from AFR, right? And yep. these effects vary kind of heavily based on how far you are into the dungeon and also just what mode you're picking, right? For Commander yeah, I, specifically, yeah. I would say most of these modes are, like, vaguely worth a card. I think it's pretty comparable to the Monarchy. I do think... Like, like I, I've got a Commander Cube. It's not been mentioned before, I say sarcastically. Um, but... I, I, I can't see myself putting any of these initiative cards in because it adds a lot of weird complexity. There is only one dungeon on, like, AFR 3, you know, so that's at least nice. But I, I the dungeons are okay. It yeah, is. venturing into the dungeon is kind of fun uh, on its own when you're playing standard and or just, like, kind of casually doing it in Commander. But... The effects that you're really working towards are all in the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and that takes like seven steps. And it kind of seems like even though these cards are wor are, are worth a card, not every deck is one gonna is gonna want to do any of the modes, right? Yeah, like one of them's every deck is gonna care about the when you create a treasure token, right? I think that'll be the one that yeah. gets fought over a lot. I don't know about the rest of them. Some of them are, some of them are just like scry one or like draw a card or like. Uh, put plus one, plus one counters on things. Create a 4-1 with Menace. I don't know. Now, you mentioned fighting over it, Karif. Now, to the best of my understanding, each person ventures through their own version of the Undercity. Is that true? I believe so, but let's confirm this fact. Um, um, I mean, I just assumed that it was just one... But maybe that's wrong. Let, let me let me pull up something. Because I, I think that because you because everyone ventured into their own version of Dungeons and AFR. Oh, okay. So I don't think you're going to be fighting over it. You know, you just have your own. Oh, I have my LSV werewolf moment. Oh yeah. no. <laughs> oh yeah. no. So, it's okay, Kara. That's now, why we do these set reviews. Now, now, with your new revelation, how do you, do you feel any better or worse about it? I think it's much worse then. Because if you can't steal a better like dungeon room from your opponent, then like you're just starting at the beginning, right? Yeah. I, I think you'll want to do it out of necessity, but I don't think any of the early modes are that great. And the other thing is that, like, is one of those early modes, like, of drawing a card, theoretically, worth getting attacked, right, to to get the initiative? And The Throne of yeah. the Dead 3 at the end is pretty big. Yeah, but that's at the end, right? You have to sit for six combats with that. Only five. So you hit him once, you get the initiative, mm -hmm. and then you gotta hit him four more times, and then on the Throne of the Dead 3 turn, you're pretty happy. Really? Let Sometimes me, you also just... Because it's five, five, five levels to the dungeon. So I think the general Never best mind. path is going to be going... Grab the basic land, scrying two, making a treasure, making a 4-1 with menace, and then <coughs> flipping the... And then doing the Throne of the Dead 3. Alternatively, you go land, scry, go to creatures so that you can then draw a card in the archives and then do Throne of the Dead 3. 
And then I think in the rarest case, you go land, counters, go draw, get the throne. And then if the five life loss matters, then you go land, counters, dom, dump, bonk somebody for five. I'm bonking someone for five. I hope I'm killing them. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not super. I wasn't enthralled by the dungeons initially, and I'm still not enthralled by them. I think they're okay. I yeah. like the backgrounds. The backgrounds are cool. Uh, I mean, how many times are we going to have to learn this lesson about partner? But, yeah, they're pretty cool. They're fun partners. I, I think them being, they're basically just augmentations to your, their, the current commanders, which I think is a lot weaker than just having two commanders. True. It, it still is that weird card advantage. And a lot of the dual color commanders don't have choose a background, and I get that, right? That's. I don't think there are any dual color commanders with choose a background. Yeah, I don't know if they'll make one of them, and that's, like, the special thing about that, but... Maybe. Uh, uh, but, like, I think these are fun. Like, Cultist of the Absolute's one of my favorite one, if you've seen that one, which is black for the Legendary Enchantment background, and it gives your commander plus three, plus three, flying, death touch, ward, pay three life, and at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a creature. That's true. That card does cost one mana. That's probably why it's pretty good. And it's a one mana sacrifice outlet, I guess, yeah. It's super neat, because it turns your like, guy into a big demon. Uh, like, that, that's cool. Uh, I'm down fun. for... Yeah, I'm down for Shameless Charlatan myself. Uh, but still, like... I don't know. It, it is still card advantage. It, it's card advantage that specifically asks you to already have your creature on the battlefield. So maybe that's what balances it, and why it's more it's balanced. Less, it's less card advantage, because these cards do nothing on their own, Karif. And they trigger Enchantress. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> it does, fucking Argosian Enchantress can go die in a hole. Uh, you know. She can't uh, unless on. you give her minus one, minus one. I'm gonna fucking Meat Hook Massacre, how about that? Yeah, it triggers Enchantress. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's why Meat Hook Massacre is a good card care for the Enchantress. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I want to talk about the adventure one as well. How many times do we have to teach you this this lesson? Like, stop it. <laughs> Alright, adventures are cool, and it's better to bring them back in a more powerful format. I think this is the perfect place to bring back adventures. I, I think adventures are cool, too. Uh, just power them down, and th this is just such a big problem with, like, just say it when you cast a spell from exile. Like, it's cooler that way, right? It allows you for more interesting designs, right? If you get Gory on a draft, God forbid, like, it's probably still pretty good, but it's it only cares about good. adventures, right? It's not... You can call out I a mean, card type, but it, it needs... It, it feels parasitic still, and I'm just still kind of mad about that. And not only parasitic, fair. but overpowered. I'm excited for it. It'll be fun drafting. I mean, every set's fun to draft for some extent. Um, and then there's Warhammer, but you can't draft that, so it's pretty cringe, not gonna lie. Yeah, I don't know anything about Warhammer. I, yeah. Uh, some of them, I, I'm mostly just upset that none of the cards have any hammers yet. They just got, like, flamethrowers and swords. These are distinctly not hammers. Yeah, I do like squad as a mechanic, but that's mostly because I like creature tokens. Dude, imagine Vanguard Suppressors in a draft format. Oh my god, that'd be awesome, dude. <laughs> like, like I'm looking at this through a commander player lens and saying, ah, this is kind of weak. And then I think about it, oh, what if I got to first pick this? And I'm like, oh, it's so insane. <laughs> you can put it in your commander. Like, eight mana. Just buy it as a single and then uh, put it in your commander cube. For, uh, it's not even that good in commander, though. 
Okay. I, I like the I like the Tasha the Witch Queen, by the way, from uh the new Baldur's Gate. I I like yeah. Steely. It's it's a fun it's a fun thing. And so when I when I see yeah. whatever I cast a spell I don't own, I'm thinking Stolen Goods. Yeah, yeah. Stolen Goods was one of the first rares I ever opened. It is awful. But, I love but put it in your send triplets deck. <laughs> nah, just it can be your commander drafter. Uh four ability planeswalkers SMH. <laughs> okay. I, I think that's all we have to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next week I think we'll actually do a deep dive into Baldur's Gate as a draft format because one of the things that I think a lot of limited podcasts don't do is talk about the supplemental sets, right? And it's important. Sometimes you'll have a fun draft format that is something that your LGS pretty heavily supports, right? And you want to know some of the strategies going in on what you should pick and what you should try to do. And especially with these supplemental sets that have crazy draft ideas right like ta- like how highly do you want to pick backgrounds versus commanders what do you want to take when you're taking two picks a, uh, a pack right all these questions are important to answer and i don't think that uh people or in the podcast realm tend to spend a lot of time on them because only the standard set's competitive right yeah like, like I want to give yeah. you a full preparation for any draft format that you might run across, you know? Yeah, and Modern Horizons, they held an entire GP for that, right? And That's true. when they do Modern Horizons 3, they'll probably do it again. And so having a you mean Pioneer Horizons SMH, what's the modern? You're totally right, by the way. I <laughs> Yeah. I'm I'm thinking too small for but yeah, yeah. yeah, when they bring back the Horizon sets, they'll probably have GPs around them. And I did a seal main event. You'll want to know how to do this. And so we're going to be doing Baldur's Gate. And I also just think that talking about new cards is fun. So yeah, yeah. Don't expect the five and a half hour shit show that was our other review. But we're going to talk about general archetypes. You know, we're not cracking down every card for you, but. We'll talk yeah, about important cards. You know, they they're reprinting Wayfarer's Bobble in this set. Oh man, that that quarter man is gonna be so excited. <laughs> yep. Oh, okay. Uh <laughs> talking about magic drama is the fucking worst, dude. It's so horrible. Anyways, oh. I, yeah, this is the real pin in the show. We've talked about this for about twenty minutes now. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. let's I don't know what, how to end this. My name is Josh. You can find me online as Carif underscore wins. Uh, Twitch.tv underscore Carif or that slash Carif underscore wins. I don't play as much Magic, but I have been playing more ever since I started this podcast. Uh, and I'll probably play some uh, on Sunday, the week this comes out. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm Alex, you know, more than likely called me Drafter Demon instead, or just Drafter, that's a good name. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you can find me on Twitch, twitch.com slash Drafter Demon. Again, I don't stream as much as I would like to, but you know, you know, you never know. You might catch me being live someday, you know? It's crazier things have happened. You have to. You have. You, you're not to reiterate. Literally at the beginning of the podcast, but like, <laughs> dude, you're you're 80th mythic. You could make a billion dollars. Uh, I'm taking down Kara. I'm down to 108 now. I lost four mythic ranks during this podcast. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad you're keeping that much of an eye on it. I'll watch you draft as I <laughs> write stuff. So yeah, uh, see y'all next week uh, for some Baldur's Gate actual thinking about talking about the set. Uh, I here we go. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>